This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowship. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. We want to welcome our online listeners today. We have been in the middle of our series on the book of Revelation. We are going to be talking about today vertical history in the New Testament, but we're going to be putting a very special emphasis upon being the bride of Christ. The shofar, the shout, the announcement of the groom is a very, very significant moment for God the Father, the Father of Abraham. There is a groom that is going to be entering to come and get his bride. And there's a price that has to be paid. And that groom has to pay that price. And the father has to put the groom in the position where he must pay that price. There's no escaping it. Before that veil that, that covers the bride's face can be laid on the left shoulder of this groom, the two fathers have to be in agreement. That the payment has been made. Now if you believe as a indwelt Christian that we are literally the bride of Christ. Just for the fun of it I want to have you raise your hand. If you really truly believe indwelt Christians are the bride, literal bride of Christ. Raise your hand. The Hebrew story of... Getting married, is the, it, there's a lot of details, believe me. It would take a book to write about the level of details that the Hebrew people put in the engagement process and the coming to get the bride and the wedding feast that last seven days. And there's so many details in it that it literally took the Bible to write about it. The whole Bible in its entirety is about this wedding. I know very few teachers worldwide that actually teach that this is a wedding book. And there's many, 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 many details that are given to us about our personal lives as bridal members to help us live in the timeline of this great celebration. But this book is about the wedding. From creation to Adam and Eve multiplying the earth to the cream of the crop surfacing to the top to God scooping off the cream of the crop for His Son and for the finishing of why He actually made this earth. When He's done with this earth, He is going to destroy it. Because it's done. It's finished. He wants no more identity and he wants no more significance gained out of this planet. Then we're going to be put onto a brand new planet. You ever heard about that? Called the new earth? The new heavens and the new earth? This is so significant to God that he creates brand new stuff. Brand new stuff. Not just the earth, but the heavens. Brand new. Never touched. A complete precious gift to the bride. No used. Not something borrowed. Not something used. Brand new is what we're going to get as bridal members. But here's the quick walk. When the young man looks upon the woman in the square and he has this aha like this could be my bride. He doesn't run over to her and ask her out on a date. You know what would happen? Some of you who understand the Hebrew a little bit know exactly what would happen if the man went from a aha over to this woman and asked her out on a date, 
I'm going to try her on for size. Someone tell me if an elder in his merchantile was watching this, what that elder is required to do. Put him to death. You have to stone him. Because that would be evidence that he has touched her. To do that level of an in, to have that level of an intimate contact, it would say she's been defiled. Now it would be up to the elders to determine if that was a first offense or if that was a result of defiling her. When you defile a woman, you are defiling her father. Because it is her father who is to be held in account eternally for this young lady. If a young lady reaches out for affections from anyone other than her father, it is setting herself up to prostitute herself to another authority. That's what sin did to Eve. She listened, she moved, she, she shifted her allegiance to another father. The father of lies. She took from that lustful touch that Satan was offering her. He couldn't shove it down her throat. He had to offer her. She had to choose to be defiled. And guess what? She did. She ate that seed and digested that seed and realized she was naked before her very husband. She was naked before her father. Someone tell me, was she already naked? Exactly, she was naked. And before, she was naked and unashamed. But now she's naked and she's ashamed. Now she has to marry a second class man. Do you understand that? Defiled women have to marry defiled men. It's just the way it works. Every once in a while you'll get the pure blessing of a defiled woman marrying an undefiled man. But that's not the way it normally goes. This moment is so critical. If that young man approaches her, it's like Satan approaching Eve. He is offering her temptation that she should not be thinking about. She should be just thinking about why she's in the marketplace. She's there to fulfill a task for her mother or her father. She's to do what it is she's supposed to do and get back home. Well, you see, Satan has been working off of this, this marriage thing from the very beginning of creation. Well, here's the proper way of doing it. The young man sees this beautiful young woman, or ugly, whichever the case may be. By the way, do you realize that your husband is the ugliest man that was ever created? The Bible says that Jesus was very unbecoming in appearance. We call that ugly. Why, was, why does God's seed produce ugly? Because it's a title that God himself will not bear. God doesn't see beauty by flawless skin God sees beauty by creation if it's a result of his hand it's beautiful and Jesus hit the lower part of the totem pole not the top part some reason we just can't hang on to that beauty very good point so now this young man sees this, this beautiful young woman, beauty being defined the way we just did, and he is not to announce, blow the shofar, to let his maleness show. I'm interested in you and you better remember that. 
No. He doesn't want her to know. So he is to run back to his father. And he's to say, Dad, I saw this young lady in the square today and I think she's to be my bride. Well, who was she? Her father's name. Now, I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not. But there's no female names in any country in the world today. Silch. To this, I mean, that is 7,000 years later. That is, that's a pretty significant law that has not changed. There's male names. But there are no female names. These gals that run around saying, I want to preserve my female name, so my name is Ginger Smith Jones. So you ask them, well, what part's the female? Well, that's Smith. Wasn't that your daddy's name? What? There are no female names. Go to court and get one, they're still going to give you a male name. There are females who demand male names and they become more maleish than they do femaleish. But it's set up that reason because the father only wants to know who her father is. So the young man tells dad what the uh, father's name is. So the father goes to her father and says, Jim, my son has lined up to be one of the observers of your daughter. Now I've had a whole list of guys approach me about my daughters and I know realistically it's going to boil down to three. So realistically the father knows this guy's daughter is beautiful and there's probably other men that are coming and saying the same thing. So he says my son is interested in your daughter. What does that father do? He wants to talk about business. Well, how much are you willing to pay? Well, I as a father would say, well, what is the cost? Well, you know, death. He has to give his life for this one. Because this gal is pretty special to me. Well, how will, how will I... How, how will that work? I mean, if, if my son has to give his life for her, and there won't be a marriage. Do you see what's beginning to unfold here? Since marriage is for the purpose until death parts you, there is significant prophetic doctrines being unfolded to us with the laws of marriage. So to talk about divorce and remarriage is a joke. It doesn't fit into the prophecies on the book of marriage. What we try to do is to take pages out of here and make separate doctrines upon the pages. So we can divorce. So we can get married. So we can kill people. So we can violate the laws of God. You're missing the point. This is a book on marriage. Period. And there's a lot of details about a quality marriage. Quality marriages take a lot of work. It takes a lot of sacrifice. It takes a lot of forgiveness. It takes a lot of the stuff we saw in that video clip. Well, once a father's come to a price, almost like their daughter's a piece of meat, well, that's how most women feel when they hear this story. I am not a piece of meat. There's business that has to be talked about before we're released. Do you understand that? There was a price discussed between God the Father and the Father of Satan. Who do you think was the Father inside that house of the bride? Who was your father before you accepted Jesus Christ and got reunited with God the Father? Who was your father? Someone tell me. Satan. The father of lies. They had to negotiate. They came up with a price. And the price was your son has to give his life. 
See, Satan thought if he just got him killed, it'd be over. Did he not? You'd think that Satan would have the foresight of what resurrection would be. He does not. He did not. He always thinks death is final. So he didn't, he didn't get it. And God's like, okay. If the price for her is my son's death, okay. Because what I'm going to give her in lap two is going to be even better than lap one. See, because when Jesus was here walking, literally walking on the face of the earth, he was able to be defiled by the earth because it was the earth that got cursed. But the defilement didn't get in him. But he still got dirt on him. He still got egg on his beard. He still had the defilement of the, the world's air. You know how you have to wash at the end of the day? He still had to deal with all that. But now he doesn't. None of that dying process of the earth affects him anymore. We're getting a brand new pure husband who's been resurrected. So then there's this little routine of the father coming out on the porch. The woman is covered by a veil. She's in her beautiful white dress, which is the robe of purity. The groom is standing there. The father is behind the groom. The fathers are communicating like this. They're not dealing with groom and bride. This is about the father's. And so, the groom's father, who is the superior one, the bride's father, which is ultimately going to have to submit to that new father because of the daughter, being given over to this new namesake. So when the veil came off, and that last kiss of from the father to the daughter took place, the father of the bride was to take the veil and lay it on the left shoulder of the groom, which is right out of the book of Revelation. The veil is symbolic of government. The veil was laid on the left shoulder of the groom, saying now the government is upon, it's the groom's shoulder. He now has the governance of caring for her life by policy by relationship the father of the bride goes back up onto the porch and he is to wait until the groom's bridal party ushered the two of them wedding feast then he had to follow so everything gets put upon the father of the groom and now the groom her name died his name became life now let's take a look at it to start our journey into the New Testament and vertical history that it takes two kinds of history to form the cross and those two kinds are horizontal History, which is man's history, got recorded this way. Vertical history crosses through man's history, which forms the cross, Tav, which means Torah, which means the law of God. The cross itself forms the law. That's why it kills. It's a beautiful moment. So the purpose of creation and God's redemptive plan is being brought to the forefront of God's timeline. In the Old Testament, we see the accounts of the Hebrew people under conviction of God, the establishment and workings of the Tav, the Torah, the laws of God. So what we have, Old Testament, which took more, as you know, to spell out than it did the New Testament, New Covenant. Fulfilling the law is easy to explain, but it held the highest price. 
the life of the Son. The Hebrews were never expected to be able to keep the law. In fact, it was given to prove to them that they could not keep the law. This was God's perfect setup for the great introduction of his Son. Now, you and I both know that the Son, Jesus Christ, was created upon his birth, right? No. Jesus is the same today as he was yesterday, as he is forever. Hebrews 13.5, 13.8. He's eternal. He, his human body got dropped into the timeline. And that's when we see him surface in. It is simply God laying out the record of what already was. No surprises. Hebrew law required the firstborn son to be married. This was not an optional idea. It's like a king having his firstborn son is the firstborn of the king, the seed of the king, has to get married or you do not have the lineage that is distributed to the generations to come. Same thing with God. It's not just the same thing with God. The idea came from God. Firstborn male son must get married. He used his creation to multiply humans in order to pick the cream of the crop for his son and only son. First and only. God not only used the Old Testament to reveal the, the incompetence of his people, but to prepare them for the groom, which is his son, which is his firstborn and his only son. He is not going to give an impure bride to his son. He has to put something between the bride-to-be and the son that purifies her, not only purifies her, but makes her perfect. And that's what we're about to talk about. Now that Jesus was born, childhood was to prepare him for the engagement process with his bride. The church. His ministry period was about three and a half years long. Does that sound a little bit familiar? Where else do we hear about those three and a half years? Tribulation. The first three and a half years of the tribulation is peace, peace, but there is no peace. And the second three and a half years of the tribulation, which makes up seven years total, is quote unquote hell on earth. This three and a half years of his ministry is not replicating what Satan is about to do a few days down the road from Jesus' timeline. It actually was the other way around. It's Satan who replicates God's system and God's timeline. So this was Jesus' time to call out his bride and to prepare each bridal member for the engagement born again conversion the phase of this wedding is to call out his bride there's going to be many that are going to step forward saying it's me it's me but see we have to ask a question who determines if the me is really a me Jesus no that's the father's job the primary responsibility of a father from page one to the last page of this book is to supervise the wedding process. They didn't run off and hire marriage planners. This was done by men, believe it or not. Men who first carefully put the law of marriage in the customs of marriage and made sure they were immovable. The ladies would add color from flowers to the taste of the food to all the colorful elements of celebration. The body of Christ is for the celebration of their husband. That's why I never really quite could get it when body members don't celebrate when they're singing. They don't pray when they're singing. They don't engage their husband when they're singing. They're not dancing. They're not holding their arms up. They're not, they're not having an intimate 
time moment with their husband. It's a bit odd, isn't it? Therefore, worship becomes a tradition. It becomes an act. It becomes a fun thing we do versus an actual intimate expression with our husband. That's the woman's job. Celebration. It's the men's role to lay out the law. To put the manners, customs, and policies in place. And make sure my son and my daughter do not violate these during the one year engagement. There weren't three month engagements. There's still not three month engagements in Orthodox Jewish weddings. One year. Why, practically speaking, was it one year? Make sure she was not defiled. To make sure no man approached her for a date. What is the engagement period? For us with Christ. Someone please tell me. We haven't had the wedding feast. If you haven't noticed. From the moment of your salvation. To the moment of the second coming. Is your engagement period. It's your test to see if you are as pure as you say you are. Those who endure to the end. Those shall be saved. It's the fourth requirement of proof of salvation. You shall know them by their love. You shall know them by their deeds. You shall know them by their fruit. And those who are saved shall endure to the end. Four requirements of the bride. If you miss one and you have three, you miss out. That's what the engagement's for. What do you think all these scriptures are in here about making sure your, your, your dress is clean and making sure there's oil in your lamp and making sure I, you... Surely you've suffered the same thing I have when you've said, well, I'll, that really all doesn't matter because I am saved. Because I know when I was seven I prayed the prayer. That means nothing. Do you understand that? You praying some kind of prayer means nothing the prayer does not save you it's the father who saves you through his son when the husband takes his right hand and touches you on your right shoulder the left shoulder is for a different purpose to be touched by Jesus Christ that groom had to go up and touch his bride. She would be brought to her knees. Of submission to her new husband. That powerful touch. You are my bride. I have selected you. And that's why it was always done. The left shoulder is always for governance. And that right shoulder. Is for submission and surrender. You will submit to this new name. But see, it wasn't through him lecturing her. It was being touched. Being overwhelmed. I have been touched by Jesus. Then you want to submit to this new husband. When you're touched is when you're actually introduced to that engagement. You are, you are committed. There's a seal. Once you are touched by Jesus, you are sealed. It's the engagement. Why did Joseph have to say something to this, to this effect where we, he found out that Mary was pregnant? And he made a statement that was really peculiar. He was struggling with putting her away. Remember that? What did it really mean in the, the Greek text where he was going to put away Mary? Was he going to kill her? No. No going to divorce her. So you see, it was considered by Hebrew law that your engagement period, you were married. We are married to Christ right now, even though we're in the engagement period. The wedding feast has not happened. The wedding feast puts the final seal in place. And the reason why I'm telling you all of this is because the book of Revelation is laid on the exact same phases of a wedding. 
This is a book on the wedding. And I'm telling you, many things will immediately fall into place if you view the Bible as a book on the wedding. You won't argue about divorce. You won't argue about remarriage. You won't argue about murdering people. You won't argue about insulting your parents. You won't argue about any of that stuff because it will all begin to make sense. If that young lady standing there thinking, I could care less what my father thinks. I love you. Yes, let's go on a date. See, if a man looks upon a woman to have her, he has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Adultery has already been done, according to Jesus Christ. Matthew 5. The act. It's nothing. It's what takes place in the shift of moving away from the Father. That's the sin. <laughs> if people would just get a handle on that, that's the sin. This whole lust thing, Jesus himself said, you've already committed adultery. Shift back to your father and repent. That's what this is about, isn't it? Eve turning her back to her father and her husband? The fact is, she got a new father. So what? He destroyed the entire world and literally cursed the ground we walk on. Or set it up to be cursed. Just because she turned her back to her father. Here's our Hebrew for marriage. We have gimel, which is the camel. We have yud, which is the arm, with an open hand, yud. We have sheen, which is teeth. Then we have vav, which is to secure, it's the nail. And then we have aleph, which is the ox, which is strength, leader, or the first in line. Then we have yud again. Then we have resh. We put all of those together and we have to lift up the deed that consumes and secures the leader's work, the head. That's Hebrew for marriage. Look what the Greek says about marriage. Of uncertainty, affinity, nuptials, marriage, wedding. It keeps defining itself by its own word. You look at that and you go, well, yeah. Okay, that, that makes sense. I just got to go look up what nuptials mean. But you back up and put the Hebrew to lift up the deed that consumes and secures. The leader's work who is the head of the household. Jesus Christ is my husband. He is. It is his deed that should consume me. I know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. I know nothing but him being my husband and the sacrifice he gave for me to be his bride. That's all that matters. His deed that consumes me and it also makes me secure in his leadership. His work. Because he's my head. He is my husband. It's so much more than what we have defined it to be. The death of Christ was the groom making payment for his future bridal members who are presently enslaved to Satan, God the, of the Father, and calls himself God with a little g of lies. The payment required is life, the blood covenant Abraham talked about many years before. The birth of Jesus, interpreted as the incarnation of God in human flesh, revealed the beginning of what Revelation states in the new day. His birth, life, death, resurrection were stated throughout Hebrew history as the final provision for the deliverance of his people in the form of a groom. This is a concept 
truth, Jews do not understand to this very day. But they do understand the marriage customs, manners, and policies that I shared with you earlier. They have a better understanding of that than you do. But when it comes to the who, they're a bit confused. Jesus' life was a pure and righteous demonstration of the life of a perfect and holy groom for the future members of the bridal team of Jesus himself. When the people made contact with Jesus, they experienced the love of the Heavenly Father and demonstration of his power. He came to offer peace and justification to the enslaved, which were future bridal members, of his own covenant marriage. He offered unconditional forgiveness, healing, renewal of mind, restoration of life to the state of Adam and Eve. Literally taking us from before the fall, after the fall, back to before the fall. This is the completed story of that process. Why? So he could have the cream of the crop to give to his son for the, for the wedding feast. You can make Christianity about all kinds of stuff. The writing of books is endless and the devotion to those books are weariness to our soul and body. It is simple. This is a book that literally has shown through testimonies the process from beginning to end of the only marriage that is significant in eternity. Here's our diagram again, which I show regularly about the pathway of the groom. Before I show you these next diagrams, you need to see this again. The Old Testament is the son, our groom, is with his father. Doing whatever it is that his father was asking him to do in the Old Testament in heaven. He was busy about his father's work. We know that. Meanwhile, the doctrines are being laid out about marriage in the Old Testament. The customs, the manners, and the policies are being laid out, and that's our Old Testament. Then we have here the birth of Christ, so the son sent by his father for his bride. He is a drop from God's eternal timeline into this human timeline, and we see him in the form of a baby, but I can assure you that he is not baby in any fashion. He's the living God in the flesh. He has this childhood which God purposely does not record information on. Now there are 14 history books that adequately recorded his childhood. I've read some of them. It's interesting. God chose for some reason to keep his childhood quiet for a good reason. But we do understand this, that from his birth until he was 30 years of age, there was not a great deal recorded about his life. But this we do know because it was recorded, and that was he was to work for his father, Joseph, as a carpenter, which is one of the 225 names of Jesus. He was a builder. He took something from a tree... And he turned it into something that was very functional. And I don't think that was by accident. The whole wood thing. I think every piece of Jesus' life is important. But you see, he's just to be about his dad's business. Just as in the Old Testament, he was about his father's business. Well, I personally believe that Joseph died. And Jesus was able to transfer his loyalty to God the Father because no man can serve two fathers two masters master means father even in the Greek no man can serve two fathers so there was some significant change where Jesus himself had to care for his mother if you remember in the scriptures and then when Jesus was on the cross do you remember the significant thing he did cleaned up some final piece of business that reinforced Hebrew law and that was what? John 
your mother. Mom, your son. I mean, think about that. That's business of a groom. He is making sure that the traditions of security, of authority, is passed on before he took his last breath. And what do we do to authority? We laugh in the face and write bumper stickers to question authority. How dare us? When it was one of the very last things that Christ did on the cross was to reestablish security of the work indeed of him being the supervisor over his mother and passed it on to his beloved, John. Who happened accidentally, by the way, wrote the book of Revelation? No. <laughs> Jesus trusted John. Jesus knew from his father John was his beloved. I believe Jesus already knew that John would be used to write the book of Revelation, which is a separate book. These others were letters that we call books. So his three and a half years was the courting of the bride. All according to the Father's plan. Then the cross was the death of Christ, salvation, engagement. That was the permanent act that created the permanent fixture of engagement between Jesus and us. The 40 days was the public announcement of his engagement. The New Testament living after the ascension was the groom returns to the Father and prepares, as the woman is being watched to see if she is pure, the groom is supposed to be preparing a new place of living that is attached to the Father's house, the new earth. He's working on it right now. He's finishing up the details right now because that's where we're going with him forever so this New Testament living is the father prepares the bride the groom prepares the room it's all in order then Christians in heaven the groom consummates the, the marriage and then the final piece is life on this new earth that he prepared for us and that is after the wedding feast we are taken to this new earth that has no stars there's no solar systems it is literally lit by the Shekinah glory of God the Sun the moon the stars are secondary light sources to the Creator they all have to go away this is our process that we are involved with with the wedding book now, we have Trinity as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We also have Trinity of the angels, right? We had Archangel Lucifer, which means angel of light. We have Archangel Gabriel, which means messenger. We have Archangel Michael, which means warrior. And they each had a responsibility of a third of the angels. And then... God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one unit. You have the husband who is literally representing the role of Jesus Christ. As Christ is head of the church, the body of Christ, so is the husband head of his wife. He clearly spells this out for us and why we argue about it and write books about it. I get it intellectually why they don't want to accept this doctrine. And the only thing that I have concluded is that it takes the Holy Spirit within someone to actually accept this truth. And if they don't accept it and they constantly resist after it's been, they've been enlightened by it, I have to be left with one question. Are they truly bridal members? When they don't accept the basics of the initial bride and groom concept, and they're dividing it and divorcing it and separating it and trying to wash it away, I have to ask that question. It's not necessary that I'm going to get the answer I think, but I have to at least ask the question. God, is this person really a bridal member? I cannot assume this. The cost is too heavy for pride to have its way. So now you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the trinity of the angels, Lucifer, Michael, Gabriel, 
each having a third of the angels proven in Scripture, which it doesn't even need to be proven in Scripture, to be honest with you. It, it is what it is. God gives us the blessed beauty of the Scriptures to confirm what is. It's not to prove. It's to confirm what is. I am the I am. This confirms what is. Not to prove. Because if you look at it at proving, you're going to have to start coming up with several translations. So now, Lucifer decides, you know, I don't, I don't want to be one of these sons of God anymore. I want to be the father. So he rises up against the knowledge of God. And he tries to take that throne position of a father. Because Satan knows the simple fact that the, everything is about the father. Everything. Well, that'd be the position he want. So young men who did not honor their father's authority, I don't even fight it anymore. They're just trying to steal their father's job. They're trying to steal their father's role. They're doing the exact same thing that Satan did to try to take the role of the father so they could have that woman. How can I convince this woman to defile, to turn her back on her father? Because that has to happen first before I can have her. Because any other form of sex outside of marriage is rape to the father. He knew that. He needed the chair. There was no 40 hours of therapy. There was no discussions. Satan was removed from heaven like a bolt of lightning. You come against the Father, you're stoned at the gate. Everything in here will start to make sense if you understand where it all started. Now he's here on this planet. Here's a question for you. Was Satan here before we were or were we here before Satan was? That's what I believe. He was put on this formless planet. And I don't know if you've thought about this, but if you pluck out every star in every solar system, what do you have? Darkness. So what was the first thing God had to, had to put together? Darkness. Was there stars yet? No, because we see that in the seven days. We're talking a formless planet, which God created too. Darkness, and then Satan is hanging out on this dark planet. And then God decides in his power and uniqueness to take life from the wood, the very instrument that would be used on his son to produce death will be the instrument he will bring the cream to the top for his son. This isn't all about God loving you to save you. His love is used to demonstrate to you because you, he knows you need to hear those words because of the fall. Adam and Eve never questioned whether God loved them before the fall. They were love. They didn't need it defined. They didn't need it proven because they were the love of God. The result. And they had to be restored back to that. So we shouldn't be running around preaching that God loves you. That's what we should be doing to show them this truth. Loving. Do you see the difference? One, you write a book about love wins. The other one is you're demonstrating love to show this. That really God is the God of the true Trinity. This is the Trinity He is setting up for. Do you understand this? He's trying to replicate since God Himself already labeled Him the Father of lies. He is a Father. Very few Christians will argue that He does not have a Trinity in the final days. The confused generation that comes out of that is literally going to match the graven imagery. This is the image that was put together by the Druids. We got a goat's head. We have fire on top of the head. Remember that whole routine with the disciples? Mockery going on here. You have the Pope's wave. 
meaning the Catholicism is a part of his religion. You have the, can't see it here, but there's a medical symbol coming out of his crotch with the two snakes pointed at the staff that has not been converted. So we know that the whole world of healing and medical stuff is significantly a part of his last and final image. He's got hoofs of a goat. He's got the face of a goat. He has these horns that are referenced through the end times and the beginning times. We, we know he's an angel because he's got wings. So here's what this Satan has to do to our culture. Homosexuality, lesbianism, she-males, he-males, bestology, interspecies marriage, on and on and on. He has to create a culture that matches this druid picture that I believe was directly inspired by Satan himself. Yeah. And it's happening in front of you. We have arguing going on at the Capitol right now over legalizing these issues. It's always, for some reason, I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not, it's always about marriage. All the arguing in, in policy, all the arguing in homes, it's always about marriage. Can you not see how clear this is? Marriage needs to be completely defiled before the people of the earth are going to accept that Satan is the father, the false prophet is the Antichrist, and the beast is the global chancellor or the, the one who is head of world religion. They're not going to accept it unless they accept the graven imagery of Satan. And on that picture, there's also the breast of a woman. So the male, female, she-male, he-male, they're all in this picture that was drawn out by the Druids. If you don't know who the Druids are, they are the original church of Satan. It's all right there. The false prophet has to move the whole entire world into an emergent church of Laodicean. The beast has to move the entire world into this whole movement of one world religion, one world government, one world policy. Of course, they're all working together on these. Satan himself wants to sit on that throne in Israel. He wants to sit in that chair. He's always wanted to sit in the chair. And it literally says that in Revelation. He is going to sit on the throne chair in this new temple. Pergamum, one of the seven churches. Someone please tell me what Jesus said about Pergamum. The seed of Satan. So now, Christ, through his giving himself for the bride, pushes Satan out of the way. He becomes the representative of God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here we have husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church, wash her with the word. And the wives are literally the physical symbol of the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. This is very powerful. To have the future generations secure the Trinity, you have to have a secure Trinity. In order for the world to support the Antichrist Trinity, they have to be supporting and believing in the Trinity of the Antichrist. So why do you see so many marriages breaking up? Last I heard, 67% of the marriages don't make it past year five. There's wars and rumors of wars that are leading up to divorces as we're speaking this morning. The future generations depend upon what daddy believes and mommy believes. And hopefully they are ruled by their groom, their husband. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the children that come from that unity. They're called born again children of God. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You have Adam and Eve. Adam exemplifies the role of Christ to the woman. Eve exemplifies the role of the Holy Spirit to the, to the children. So she wants his job and starts doing his job. She's literally defiling the image of the Trinity. She needs to do her job. He needs to do his job. 
so the Father can do His job. Jesus never acted like the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is to be put in a position of not acknowledged so that the Holy Spirit is not insulted. What is the unforgivable sin? Someone please tell me. There is one. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. There is one sin that I believe every father should get upset about, and that is someone coming against his bride. Do you understand that the whole second coming is about our husband coming back and making things straight with the people who hurt his bride? Oh, we make this into so much more than what it really is. You insult the Holy Spirit and you're done. It is over. It is finished. And I'm just saying it as the scriptures say it. You want to have your wife insulted? Put her out front. Get her out of the home. Put her in such a position where the attack and the limelight and the influence and the effect is on her. You'll lose her. She needs to be preserved. She needs to be kept in this spot to function in power inside her family. Where's power seen the most? With the children. His job is with her. He is to wash her so she can be an influencer to the children. This is too simple. I'm sorry I've insulted you. It's too simple. If this is the last message that I get to preach, I said to the Lord yesterday, this is the message I want to preach on my deathbed. The bride of Christ in our responsibility to empower the children. That I know that I know who my husband is. That I know that I know who husbands are. That I know that I know what their job is. That I know that I know what the Trinity has called us to do. Why? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Someone please tell me where the Holy Spirit goes after you become born again. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you guys realize that we're put into the Trinity? That we're higher than angels? I think that's a quote unquote. You know why we're higher than angels? Is because the Holy Spirit is put inside the bride of Christ and purifies her, redeems her and makes her alive and makes her perfect match for Jesus Christ. Now you try to divorce that. Try to, try to get God to convince his son to divorce this bride who is constantly messing up. No, he doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you. He will not divorce you. That's about as simple as I can make it. This book is a book of the great wedding. And we can try to turn this into getting people to ask questions about marriage. Anytime you question the basics of marriage, you're questioning God, the Father. So why all this deception regarding marriage? Pretty simple. In order for Satan to take his final place in the end times, the trinity of global governance. So here's how the civil order originally was and how you and I are called by God to live it to this day is God is God, Jesus John 8.28 tells us Jesus did only the things that his father told him to do. He says, whenever you hear me speak, you hear my father speak. Whenever you, whenever you, whenever you, whenever you. He says, Father. No, in our modern, postmodern culture today, we have to be independent. We have to be our own man. We have to be our own person. All this is going to manifest the graven imagery of Satan. Not just to manifest it, but actually to make it the norm. Homosexual marriages are normal. Divorces are normal. Bisexuality is normal. On and on. It's all normal. What's wrong with you people? Why don't you vote for this stuff? It's normal. Have you not been reading the news? It's normal. The closer we get to the end times, 
the more we need to repel these issues. Because if we don't, we are tampering not just with the policy book on marriage, but we're tampering with our own marriage with Christ. Christ will never leave you, but I can assure you, He'll let you leave if you want to leave. And there's many that do. Thank you for joining us today. Heartland Family Fellowship is a local church plant here in Sterling, Kansas. Our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship. Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events. And we will work to keep the focus on God, Jesus Christ, and the body of Christ without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family-integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org. We thank you for joining us. Get yourself in a bind, lose a shirt off your back. Need a floor, need a couch, need a bus fare.